0: Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Mike Meyerly. He's the principal at Etro Construction Limited. So Mike, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Great to be here. Yeah. So when I look at your background, I mean, your, your schooling was really focused on construction management and architecture. I mean, what did you want to be when you were really young? Like, was this a constant theme like building?
1: Yeah, I had a lot of family, not my parent, not my father or my mother, but a lot of our family was in the construction industry, in the building supplies industry. And so as a young kid, I was always intrigued by the tangible kind of work. You would walk down the street and see how it's being built or see buildings and cranes and always was very interested in that. So my parents used to sit at the dinner table from a very young age and say, what do you want to do when you grow up? It was a constant theme in my house and it was always engineer, or carpenter or something like Always some, you know, some relation to construction and about About grade nine, I knew exactly, I started, my dad and I started like looking at what, you know, what was available. So it was either the UBC, you know, path to engineering or the BCIT path to kind of construction management. And so kind of in grade 11, grade 10, I decided to take, it was course selection I had to make in grade 11. So at the end of grade 10, I was like, I'm going to BCIT. This is what I'm going to be doing. I don't think I want to be an engineer in design. So yeah, that's how I, I jumped from high school directly into BCIT.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you got your degree. And then did you jump? I'm looking at here, did you jump straight into estimating or did you did you have something else? I did
1: my two-year diploma program, which is super intense, like 50 hours a week for two years. It weeds out the week, I'm gonna say the way that the BCIT's got it, but amazing program really gives you a good foundation. And then yeah, I I I graduated on the Friday or, or my last class on the Friday. And Monday morning, I was in a in a desk as a junior estimator at Leadcore, and you know, in an office downtown. So,
0: was it what you thought? I mean, there's sometimes there's a difference between you know doing it in, in the classroom and in the field. Was there a
1: difference? Well, you think that you you leave school after two years and you think you know a lot, and then very and then very quickly you realize how little you actually know, and that this industry is all about experience. And this industry is all about being, you know, uh, all about learning. So, yeah, it was it was pretty quick. I had a fantastic, you know, even from my first day there to my last, you know, 13 or 14 years later, I just had was constantly provided with great mentorship every step of the way. That, and, and, you know, in that environment, it was, everyone was in at seven. Everyone was leaving at six. It was longer days. It was a different environment. But, yeah, no, I had a really good experience. And I think estimating is the foundation to any great construction professional you know understanding how how the bid how the tender how the numbers go together is a foundational piece that you know if you're a young you know construction professional getting into the industry that's what I believe you should begin you know either that or you're you know starting in the field as a carpenter to work your way up the field relative to superintendent but really in the office you can't it's such an important aspect that some people if they go directly into project management and miss that it's it's a skill set that is, is kind of, I would say, foundational to being a great project manager.
0: From estimating project coordinator, project manager, which you just mentioned, what are the keys to being a good project manager?
1: There's lots. There's many core
0: competencies. You know, you have to be great at managing risk.
1: You have to be great at, being, at managing finances. You have to be great at managing people and relationships and negotiations. You know, being a project manager is is an all encompassing and there's lots of soft skills and there's lots of technical skills. We've actually recently put together, you know, a summary of these core competencies. And and it's, it's not just the, the task, but when you get, you know, when you get head to head in an issue related to that task, how do you work through that? Right. When there's no one there to support you, you're the PM now, right? You're the guy who's got to, who's got to, you know, take it off the chin, uh, so to say. So yeah, it's really, there's so many different skill sets that uh, you need to, to be a great PM.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you, you mentioned one which caught my attention, which is managing risk. And get, give me some examples, some tangible examples of how a PM would address risks or things that you've gone through, what things that you've done to address that risk. Because I think that's a lot on other people's mind right now. So.
1: Yeah, yeah there's a ton of risk out there right now. ton of it. And some, some unforeseen risk that you'll never, you know, you can never capture, but Really, when you look at a project, what where are the difficult areas going to be? Where are the trades we you believe are going to be a challenge? And the risk might be, you know, that there's a, a team member on the design team that you know maybe is weak, and and really pointing out, okay, can, you know, we know that we're going to have soils conditions issues on this project, so that's a risk. Let's make sure we're planning, thinking, doing everything we can ahead of time. You know, we're we're building a large 160 unit passive bus project, and so we were just having a chat a couple of days ago. And it's like our risks are really like on how we today get all of our mock ups done correctly. How do we make sure that everybody understands every detail in that job? And if we had to spend two months today identifying all those risks, training those people, we've just reduced a ton of on site risk. And it comes down to like the simplest of details that, you know, the frame, we know the framer's never done this before because it's a passive house project and we've got to wrap LVLs keep them dry, and then install them in the, you know, with the um, floor system. And so how are we going to do that? Are we going to do it in a warehouse in a controlled condition? Are we going to do it on site in the middle of November when it's raining? You know, really identifying those risks that are going to get you. Coordination risks, you know, for now we're, systems have changed. Residential construction used to be a lot simpler, but now with the requirements of, you know, the step code requirements, we're adding a lot more supply and return air requirements. There's a lot more stuff jammed into these units and so the risk is you know you get to a floor and the stuff's not fitting right so we use BIM as a method and, BD- and our BDC team to kind of manage that risk, re- that on-site risk because that delay on a floor causes a month a month costs us you know it could be a hundred two hundred thousand dollars just in time just sitting there so really identifying that risk you know we're working now on all our projects and, and even you know our pre-construction to identify risk registers like what are the things we don't know uh, what are the known unknowns? Let's start with those, right? And so it's really important to be aware of where the you know the risks are. There's going to be things that are going to happen without you know them and stuff happens, and we're in construction, and it's that dynamic business. But a lot of the stuff that happens is caused by lack of foresight. and I call it horizon thinking. And so you know one of our core competencies is you know for, for to work here and be a part of, you know be a part of the uh, you know, in a in a leadership role is how far can you look ahead, right? Because that's really managing risk. Can you look, can you get ahead? You know, can you get a week ahead? Can you get a month ahead? I'm looking six months ahead, generally at what things, things are happening. So yeah, so that's, that's a, you know, part of being a really, really great project
0: manager. Awesome. So you, you had director's role and stuff, but I think I'm more interested is your thoughts on jumping and starting your own thing. Like what, what was that always the plan? Or is it just, just hit you at some point that you wanted to do your own? I always knew, I always had it in my gut that I wanted to
1: be a business person. And so even at my time at my previous company, you know, I was doing small stuff on the side, whether it be, you know, know, side hustle, they call it today, right? But back then it was just me trying to, you know, create a, a new revenue stream and try to do some different stuff. And so whether that be flipping houses or whether that be doing some small renovations that I was doing, you know, it was... It was something that I always kind of um, that I always know knew I, I needed to do. And when I started at Leadcore, you know, I I think in my first interview, i uh, was not finished. Yet, when I was hired, I said, "Yeah." He's like, "You know, what's your long term plan?" I remember you know, I you know had just had lunch with a gentleman a couple of days ago, but it was what was your what's your long term plan? I said, "Well, I want to learn as much as I can, and then probably one day I'm going to try this on my own." Right. So it's always been there. It's always been a thing in my gut. And so, but my biggest thing was I needed to be a master of my craft. Before I decided to make that jump, I needed to have the relationships in place, both with in, in the subtrade market, in the consultant market in the ownership market. I needed to have the experience in complex situations and dealing with complex problems and building large mega projects so my resume could attest to you know my skill set and so if I was going to leave I wasn't going to go back and start renovating houses because that wasn't that's not where my skill set lies i want to build shopping centers and airports and high rises right that's that's where we and that's where my experience is so so yeah so it was in jill i was really happy with where i was fantastic opportunities could have had any role in the company i wanted and grown and done very very well but i i woke up one morning and said, you know what? I want to just—I'm going to do this. And so I sat with my wife. I had one—I had one child at the time. I now have four. I have four boys, but I had one child, and it was—it was Canada Day. And I said, I'm quitting in 90 days. And so that was the journey, July 1st, 2015. And so October 1st, 2015, I quit. And uh, they—I they, I stayed a month. I stayed with them a month to kind of clean up and transition the role I was running all, all of the pre-construction for that company and so it was a uh, yeah and then november so it was just before i was halloween and i yeah i was in i woke up on the monday morning and walked from my bedroom down to my basement where i had a folding table and a laptop and two screens and and started so yeah it was just me solo in the basement so that's that's how it all that's how it all
0: came together awesome you plan for this obviously because you, you know you spent a, a long time mastering your craft is it what you expected was it straightforward Oh, absolutely not. No, no.
1: No, no. It was terrifying. It was terrifying. It was not straightforward. Like I I knew it would be difficult and I knew it would have been challenging. There was that first six months where it was really, it was far more difficult to get the opportunities that I thought would be right in front of me. And then you start to question yourself because, well, you did really well working over there, but like, I, I don't know, maybe that's because that's a great company. How do we know it's you? And that was kind of a a humbling—it was a humbling six months, and so you know, you're we're doing small little projects, you know, for friends basically. That's who had hired me to do stuff, right? People that we had known, picked up a couple decent contracts that were, you know, great. Kind of not in the you know heritage house, which is a you know four-unit heritage house, and a and a little wood frame townhouse project, and so. But those didn't start as they should have because you know permit timing and everything. So. So you're looking at cash flow, you're looking at like, you know, you want to hire people, you've got people that you know that would like to come to work with you and finding that balance of getting into a cash flow positive situation and, and being able to continue. So yeah, the first six months were between November, I say November and July, August. There was a lot of low day, it was a lot of days when you're working 18, 20 hours a day and you're not seeing any, <laughs> you're not seeing any benefit, right? It's just cash in, cash out. You know you're you're and I w- at that point I was the I was the business development guy, the estimator, the project manager, the site super, the you know the material delivery guy, the accounting guy, r- signing and writing checks. like it was you know it's all encompassing, right? and so so yeah, so it was um, but it was exciting, right? It's exciting. I had my family, my wife and my kids were super supportive and behind me, and so it was it was just that journey. and then I was able to in August of two thousand and sixteen. Bring on some more talent, and every year, every month or two since then, I've been able to bring on more talent to to be to where we are today, where we're you know full functioning you know construction company with seventy five employees and and a you know three hundred fifty million dollars of the work. So it's come a long way from the humble beginnings of a you know plastic folding table. So
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, you said six months. So what was your first break? When did you kind of know that you know everything was gonna work out?
1: Yeah, probably July, August, where we'd started a townhouse project and now people knew that we'd been hired for something. And we had, you know, a couple just more opportunities were rolling in. And my efforts of six months of coffee, lunch, dinner, you know, whatever it was with people trying to get my, you know, get my name and brand out there. Then the phone started to ring a little bit and we started to win some work. And then as the work came in, we were able to engage and hire more people, which allowed me to continue to push forward the, you know, the business development effort and the, and looking at larger, more complex projects and really making some good inroads there.
0: Yeah. Every entrepreneur has addressed many different aspects of business demand, gen, operations, keeping people happy and doing it profitably. Which you'd say, Bucket, you'd say that you had to spend the most that didn't come as naturally?
1: I think what I was surprised by is how much energy we put into culture. Like culture, to me is not that it was the hardest or uncomfortable, but it was—it's a lot of work. It's so important, and we knew that from day one about being a people-first organization, and really like understanding how important that is. I'm a just a nice guy who likes people. I always on you know, and so, but the amount of energy and time we put into it—I didn't—I just didn't think about it as you know coming out of my first you know in the first couple of months, it was like we got to get cash flow moving. we got to start making a little bit of money. we got to find and recruit the right people. That was always kind of in my, and, you know, and operationally, we need to execute. So I was always, those are kind of the fundamentals. And then, you know, but the people side, you know, get the is great. Nurture the people, measure the people, coach the people, grow the people and build that really great culture that we have today. That took a lot of time and energy, but it's been it has been worth it.
0: Give me some examples on culture because he said you know it takes a lot of time what, what are things have you done to cultivate that
1: you know as a, as a company we've we do lots of events there's lots of things to bring people together we have a lounge in our office with you know foosball ping pong beer taps we have it's a, it's a place for people to come together and really like spend time outside of you know their day-to-day we've got a very strong mentorship and we call it people builder program where like mentors coaches and players are engaging together and, you know, to ensure career development, you know, we're really, you know, I'm following kind of the way that I was raised in the industry, right? Like, you know, really having that great leadership that is connected. And so my office is always open, you know, just yesterday, I did a career mapping plan with one of our, you know, younger project managers to really be a part of like his growth and development and creating that connection is, is important. And what we've also done is really created these interrelated kind of casual relationships where PM to PM connection is strong in an effort to make sure that they, you know, if you got a question, you know, ask your peer, right. You know, your peer is available to coach you and help you. And so we've fostered this amazing, you know, culture of like really collaborating and being, you know, and and not being scared or afraid to go and ask, uh, you know, ask the person beside you.
0: Going forward. I mean, you sound like a planner because someone that spends, 13 years really preparing themselves to start a company as a planner. So thinking ahead, how are you thinking about the risks, the opportunities, and, and trends for the future? To be honest with you, I'm
1: concerned about the future right now. Not so much for my company, but for the future of our industry. We're seeing unprecedented impact, whether it be inflation or supply chain or labor challenge shortages. And I think we're going to see a significant impact from you know a variety of labor associations over the next while that are really going to create challenges for our business. I think the core, the core. Cha- I think inflation will resolve itself. My opinion is that it will it will subside. I think that supply chain will correct itself, you know, in in time. But the labor shortage in vancouver is not in a place where it has any um signs of correcting itself and so my energy right now and my focus right now is how do we how do we train mentor coach and grow the people within so that we can take a 18 year old carpenter and turn him into a 25 year old superintendent or project manager my other goal is how do we go and get to high school students and show them that construction is an incredible business where you can be in technology, you can be, you know, you can be in a collaborative environment. You can make fantastic money. Uh, it's not a dirty job. That stigma of of construction being a you know a person down in a hole, you know, digging a pipe is is completely changed. You know, we've got a technology group here. We've got a BDC team. All the tools we use are as are at the leading edge of technology. Right. So it's really opening the eyes of high school students right now uh, and finding a way to really get in front of them to say, you know what, your fastest way right now in, 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 in a lot of industries to get to making a really good wage, you know, whether it be 40, 50, $60 an hour, it's probably our industry. And you have a large spectrum of talent that's available with all of the people that are going to retire in the next 10 years, all of the baby boomers who are set to retire, we are going to have, I don't believe the numbers. I believe the numbers are going to be far worse because we're already seeing impacts right now of, of just crews not having the depth and experience because there's so much work going on. The mentorship and training programs haven't been great. There's been pockets, like companies do a great job, but our industry as a whole hasn't really embraced, you know, other than, you know, there are great residential programs. There there are those programs, but, you know, uh, you know if you're a, cabinet installer or a flooring installer or a drywaller like it's really you're learning on the job and there's and if you had it didn't have the great mentor you're not going to have the same skill set as though that who did and standardizing kind of those processes we're seeing is is creating challenges related to site time quality you know and 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 you know and safety for that matter right you have you know there's just the crews don't have the, the same level of leadership. Uh, that they may they once had. So the other thing that I'm really focused on is getting in the minds of 10-year-olds, right? That's when I started to think about construction. And getting marketing or advertising or finding a way to attract 10-year-olds is impossible. But you know who you can market to is 10-year-old's parents. Because 10-year-old's parents can be told and can be attracted to, hey, like, it's great, you're in this business. And so we're starting a little bit of a, a group between a bunch of the different associations and a number of the uh, institutions, the educational, be BCIT, UBC, Qual, and we're working with all of these to kind of find a way to get some support from the provincial government to push the initiative on, like, if we don't do this, if you think housing affordability is bad today, wait 10 years, because it is going to be exponentially worse and forget material costs it's going to be, there are no people available to build the project. And the project that, so that means projects don't get built because we just, there's no capacity or projects take way longer and become more expensive because there's just not enough available labor. So labor can come to us in a few ways. One is from new entries into the industry. One is from immigration and one is from transfer people from other industries. (laughs) And so we've have to find a way to change the stigma of construction And create, you know, and and it is, it is a very technical, very very interesting, dynamic, collaborative industry that is, you know, I couldn't imagine something more fun and interesting where every day is absolutely different. And it doesn't matter whether you're work for a cladding contractor, a glazing contractor, an electric contractor, a mechanic contractor, or a GC. Like it, it really doesn't matter. It's very dynamic. You get to work with interesting people. You get to build really cool projects. And so, to me, that's the focus. Is is How do we get more young entrants? How do we get in their brains? And if that's going to universities and speaking and telling them the stories of really, you know, incredible entrepreneurs, like I've got friends that are plumbers and have made a fortune, um, you know, building great plumbing companies, starting, learning the trade, getting their ticket, working a few years, getting the experience, going on their own, starting a company, learning how to run a business, understanding the core technical you know, needs to, to be a plumber, but then bolting on. And, and some of these guys have just done uh, and, and, and have done just fantastic. So, yeah, that's that's the focus.
0: Very cool. When you're not running your business, what do you do? Do you, do you have hobbies?
1: I don't have a lot of hobbies. I, I should say. four I kids, have. you
0: said. Yeah, I got
1: So I got four young boys and they keep me extremely busy with their sports. So they do, you know, they're we spend the summer's all baseball, spring and summer's all baseball, soccer in the winter, a bit of hockey. But I love skiing. So for me, I love skiing. I love mountain biking. I train at the gym four days a week to make sure that my mind is healthy. Otherwise, you know, I, without without the gym and exercise, I mean, you know, I struggle. And so, yeah, and cycling. I, I just got a gravel bike last year. So I've been doing a bit of that. But no, actual, like I don't watch, just funny, I don't watch sports. I don't have time to, I don't watch a ton of TV. I don't knit or, or anything like that. So <laughs> as I get... It's funny, my kids are getting a bit older. So trying to jump back into playing hockey again because I've been off for about five years and I'd love to play more golf, but that you know, six hours or five hours isn't time that I have normally. So but yeah.
0: Is there anything that we didn't talk about or you wanted to share that you want to sort of end off with?
1: From a, a new entrant coming in the industry and the person who's going to coach them. I've got, you know, my my words of wisdom, I guess, is as a new coming into this industry. It's most important. The only thing you should be worrying about is who your mentor is, who's coaching you. Be vocal about making sure you've got a good coach who provides you with good feedback and can give you the skills that you need. And then once you find that person, your job is to just be a sponge and listen and observe and listen and just keep listening. And that is what will get you to the next stage. And for the people that are like me, that are mentoring this younger generation, that is your job. That is what you are here to do. And that is the way that they're going to go home. If they're engaged and they're feeling supported in their culture and they're feeling like they're a fit and they're getting what they need. Those are the kids that are going to go and tell you know, their friends, man, like this construction thing is awesome. I've got this incredible coach. I've got this really amazing company I'm with. And so it's a. Both have responsibility in the relationship that are equal. And so, you know, in this new era of employment where you can get a job anywhere, like anyone can leave today and find a job with 0% unemployment, but believe me, that will change. It always does. And so don't be focused, you know, for, for the young, new professionals, don't be focused on the dollar, be focused on the mentor and be focused on the learning and go to a place where you're going to get the learning and the mentorship. The money will come, and I, you know, I was told that from a young, you know, young age. You know, coming and you know, being considered. well, a friend of mine got a few dollars more. The money always comes if you have yeah. the knowledge and the skill set. So.
0: Well, great advice. Thank you for uh, sharing a story. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out YouTube.com forward slash tats talks for video of today's podcast hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes
1: this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suite radio.com